This morning, we're going to kind of talk about uh, joy and how the season and how we experience the, the sort of an inauguration of joy. Last week, we talked about peace and how Christ inaugurates peace. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about Christ inaugurating joy. And so we're going to continue in our series called Let Earth Receive Her King because that is essentially what we're celebrating this morning. We're celebrating, anticipating the arrival of Christ, the appearance of the King, the one who's to come and to reign eternally. And so we celebrate the inauguration of his kingdom in this moment, in this time, in this season. And with the inauguration of his kingdom comes amazing things comes amazing benefits, comes amazing experiences that we have at hand as God is ushering in his kingdom uh, on the earth, and he's going to renew it and bring his kingdom in fullness soon. But one of the things that we get to experience and that we get to enjoy as a, a benefit of our faith in Christ is joy, is joy. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily translate into happiness, right? But it is something that transcends just events or circumstances, even sometimes feelings. Joy is something much greater and much deeper than just those superficial things. And so I want to talk about that this morning, and I want us to, to, to go into the scriptures this morning, and I want us to see what God has to say about the joy that he has given you, about the joy that has been inaugurated at the coming of Christ. And so we're going to do that this morning. But before I, we do that, I want to kind of ask you guys a question, and that is this. What brings you joy in this season? What brings you joy in this season? can be anything. Don't limit yourself. Love. Whatever. Love, okay? Loving people brings joy, huh? The lights. Oh, I love the lights. The lights do bring a tremendous amount of joy. If you guys check out Westbrook Riverbank Park, you got to check it out. I mean, it is just phenomenal, the amount of lights. I mean, I'm 40-something, And I still enjoy the lights. Just as much as probably Evie enjoys the lights when we go through there. I'm like, I'm in awe. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Lights, yeah. What else? Anything else brings you joy this morning? And this is music. Absolutely. Absolutely. Music can definitely sort of kind of conjure up this feeling of joy. Absolutely. Depending on what kind of music it is, right? I mean, not all music. At least for me. <laughs> Kathy, yes. The of getting together with yeah, yeah. Maybe seeing some people you haven't seen in a while. I don't know if that brings joy. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on who it is, just like music. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, seeing family, that can definitely bring joy. Absolutely. All right, two more, two more, two more, two more, two more, two more. Michael. I just called you Michael. I don't know why I call you Michael. Yeah. Seeing the kids. Seeing the kids have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the things that I 
find tremendous joy in is the reaction of our kids in this time of season. No question. Yeah. One more. Come on. One more. One more. Over here. Nancy. Yes. What? Where did that come from? Okay. Let her, let her explain. She's got an argument here. We're, we're going to listen. What, what's the argument? You got a lot of supporters here. That's very sentimental. Yeah. That, I, I got to try that this year. Yeah, yeah. Because usually it's, you know, I'm, I'm the Grinch being like, how many more we got left? I just want to lay on the couch and watch something. It's like Christmas Eve and I'm like ready to like relax. What do you say? Oh my gosh, that's just too deep for me. That's just too deep. I can't go that deep. Jeez, Nancy, you got to come over and wrap my gifts. How about that? There we go. I'll give you all the names. You can be like, oh, this is for, oh, I just love Gracie. She's so amazing. As you're putting the tape on and as it doesn't thing, and then as you fold it up and it rips on the side and you got to cut a new one. And Man, we just talk about this all morning if we want. I will have to say I am a fairly good present rapper. I've got it down. Yeah. I've done it enough. I, all right. One more. Anybody else? Anybody else? What brings you joy? Let's end on a high, a high note here. Not present rapping. No, I'm just kidding, Nancy. Just kidding. I love it. Myla, yeah. Last one. Right, 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 right. For instance, for instance, Huh? Give me a give me an example. Wait, can I let's just rewind the tape here. Popcorn balls? What the heck are those? I sorry, as tomatoes here. What the heck are popcorn balls? No, I'm being I'm being serious. I'm from Maine. That's not a main thing. Since when? 1990, maybe? Man, I'm never going to get to this message this morning. All right, briefly explain to me what are popcorn balls. That doesn't mean, that doesn't say anything. That says nothing to me. Molasses, yeah. Yeah. This is totally new to me. And I thought I knew everything. Just kidding. Do you have a recipe you can send me? Good. Do it. And you're making them for all of us. I don't know. Does it have dairy in it? Does it have dairy in it? No. Oh, perfect. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Um, man, that was nice. That was nice. Now I've learned something new. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there's, so there's a lot of things that bring us joy in this season, right? There's a lot of things uh, that we can look to, right, that, that, that kind of conjure up this, 
this feeling of, of jovial happiness, you know? It, you know? I mean, obviously, everyone's situation is different. Every circumstance is different. Uh, you know, we're dealing with things. We're struggling with things. We're suffering with things. There are circumstances in our lives that aren't great. Uh, everyone has something that they're dealing with in life. Uh, life's not perfect. It doesn't go perfectly. But by and large, in this time, in this season, in this moment, there is this sort of rising anticipation that's marked with joy and happiness and, and gladness. And, and really, this season is, is kind of, the Advent season is, is, is kind of ripe with anticipation because we're awaiting something that we're going to celebrate next week, you know? And, and this season is often marked with a profound sense of joy, uh, even in the midst of what we have going on. Right, it's it's un it's it's uncommon or it's not uncommon to experience delight right now, reflecting on all that 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 God has given us, all that God has provided, all that Christ has done for us. You know, gladness for so many of us is a distinct characteristic of the season, and it typifies the feeling of the year. That's kind of where we are right now. So reflecting on life and reflecting on things and, and deliberating upon those things in my own life, I, I'm always thinking about, you know, what brings my soul and my heart joy, especially this time of year. Um, there's a priority of joyfulness, it seems like, today. There's this, there's this welling up, this spring of delight and gladness. And, and really, for me, my mind races to, as Mike alluded to, my family. My family brings me tremendous joy. I think of, of the joy that I see, you know, just in my, own, in my own family, in my own child, with our youngest, with Evelyn. What brings her joy is just the simplest things. You know, she, she loves the, the way that, that Gracie or Shanna kind of takes her and twirls her around in the middle of the living room. Something simple, something basic, something that you wouldn't think would be uh, such a source of delight. It, it is for her. You know, they oftentimes have this moment in the week when Gracie goes to dance and then they come home. And so, you know, Evie's stuck with the boys, you know, Evie's stuck with dad, Evie's stuck with, with Jackson and, and Rylan, and, and we're kind of hanging out. And, you know, the way boys play, you know, a little different, and she connects with Shanna and, and, Gra and, and Gracie totally differently than maybe she does us sometimes. And, but when they come through the door after dance, they do this thing with her, right? And they, they come in and they greet her, and they're like, oh, baby, and they just do this high-pitched voice, and as soon as she hears it, she turns and she just runs to them, and she, she wants them to twirl her around. It's like this thing that they have. I think of those things. I think of the joy that besets her in, in such the simplest things. It's even, even the simple mundane things like yesterday I was able to just play some video games with my kids, which I never do. That brings them tremendous joy. They were so glad that dad actually got to take time to play a video game with them because I'm usually watching Ev or we got stuff going on. And I'm just, I'm just like neck deep into this Minecraft thing. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Whoa, it's quite a world. <laughs> and so there's just these things I think of in this time of year with regards to the feeling of joy and I reflect upon those things, and I know this is a time for all of us that we do the same. So 
So joy is described this way in Webster. An emotion evoked by well-being or by the prospect of, pros- of, of possessing what one desires. A source or cause of delight. A state of happiness. And in the verb form, it's to experience great pleasure or delight. That is sort of the, the, the traditional definition of joy that we would find uh, in our own language. And although joy can often be associated with superficial, momentary, fleeting states of mind caused by external circumstances, situations, and events, I want us to turn our gaze this morning to a more fitting joy that is available to us. Because as Christians, there is available to us a more worthy joy. And this joy is fastened not to anything temporal or earthly, or temporary, but a gladness that's produced by the appearance of Christ. That is our joy, and that's what I want us to see this morning in God's word. Advent really heralds this. Advent is the heralding, the inauguration of exceeding joy with Christ's approaching rule as earth receives her king. That is really uh, the essence of Advent. And so we're going to look at this this morning in Matthew chapter 2. The inauguration of joy. So turn with me in Matthew chapter 2 if you can. I want to read this account this morning. And I want us to think about and consider some of the things that we read uh, in this passage in the Christmas story. So in this passage, in Matthew chapter 2, we are introduced to a a sort of a vivacious rejoicing. There's an exuberant joy that's taking place here. There's this irrepressible gladness that we witness. And it's fastened to the very heart of the Christmas story in Christ. And it's done and demonstrated by the most unsuspecting characters, ones you would not necessarily think would respond to the good news of Christ in the way that they did. And we'll see that in a moment. But I want to read it this morning and then we'll kind of dive into it. This is God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, this is what it reads. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That is our text for this morning. I want us to start here, right here in verse, in, uh, verse 1. I want us to kind of get a, a general idea of what Matthew's trying to do here in his gospel. There's something specific, distinct, that, that, that Matthew does a lot in his gospel that, that, that other writers don't do. And that's specifically because of the audience that Matthew is writing to. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew. And Matthew's not a Gentile. His, his audience is primarily not Gentiles, but they are Jews. And so Matthew's thrust is that he provides a necessary bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the first of the Gospels found in the New Testament. And so it provides this bridge for us as we understand what Christ or how Christ was prophesied or looked forward to in the Old. And now Matthew comes in his Gospel and he begins to bring the fulfillment. He begins to bring uh, sort, of the, the, sort of the demonstration uh, or the appearance of Christ as he was shadowed in the Old Testament, he's brought to clarity in the New by Matthew. And so if you were to think of Matthew's gospel as, a, as some type of thesis, his thesis statement or topic sentence would simply be this, that God's redemptive plan is alive and well. It is not dead, but alive and well, being carried out with surpassing precision. Understanding there was over 400 years between the last prophet and then uh, the coming of John the Baptist, which Matthew begins to, to speak about in his gospel. And this is what Matthew wants to do more than anything. Matthew wants to do this. Matthew wants to present Christ as the king, the anointed one. He is the culmination of all of the promises of God in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all of the prophecies of the prophets. His birth, his location, his ministry, his attributes, his death, his resurrection. They are all foretold. They are all foreshadowed. And now Matthew's point and work is to bring all of them into clarity for both his reader in that time and for you and me today. So this is where we see this first response. I want us to see this story in a couple different segments. We look at the responses of two different groups of people. First, the Magi, and then Herod, and the rest in Jerusalem. So the first here we see is the Magi's response. I want you to take note of a couple things here in verses 1 to 2 in Matthew chapter 2. First of all, Matthew begins with the birthplace of the Christ, of Jesus. He does this specifically because it fulfills Old Testament prophecy. He says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, looking for the king of the Jews. This is the fulfillment of Micah 5. This is where David was born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the town of David, the one through which the prophesied king of Israel would be born from. And so Matthew was clear. Guys, understand, this is that. This is the fulfillment of what we see in the Old Testament. What you see now before you is what was prophesied before you. Micah chapter 5 speaks of this. 
And so we see that Matthew begins very early on in this chapter trying to lay a case out for the coming of Christ being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Take note, too, of this. Look at this. The announcement. How is it that the birth of Christ is announced? How is it that the gospel is being announced by uh, Matthew? Look at how he words this. There is word of an infant king. And, and, and how does the word come to this group of people? It comes through this unexplained celestial phenomenon. A star. It comes through a sign. The birth of Christ, the beginning of the gospel, or I should say the revealing of the gospel, the word of Christ comes first and foremost through his birth by a sign. And this shouldn't take us by surprise at all. Why? Because Jesus' whole life was oriented around signs. He, as he, wrote, as, he, uh, as he traveled and as he ministered, he was performing signs. And not only that, his, 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 um, his second coming, he said, was to be uh, predated by signs. It was going to be prepared by signs. So there was a sign that came that announced the birth of Christ. There was a sign that came that, that announced the coming and the beginning of the gospel. In John uh, 6, 2, this is, what, uh, this is how John describes Jesus's ministry. He says this, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus healing the sick was a sign. It was a sign from God that God was with him. And so Jesus' life was, was epitomized by signs. It is not fitting that God would announce him also with a sign, a sign in the sky. In Matthew 24, 29 through 30, this is what Jesus says about his second coming. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send, your, uh, send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from all the ends of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. So Jesus' life is epitomized by signs. His second coming is epitomized by signs. And so it is that his birth is announced with a sign, a sign from heaven. And this sign comes in specific form, light. It comes as a star. It comes as light. Is it not fitting that the appearing of Christ is announced by a dazzling luminary display? This display, this luminance that was seen in the sky was unobservable until that very point where the Magi saw it. So not only is his appearance and his coming done with a sign, but it is done through light, through the appearance of light. How fitting is it that the light of the world, when he enters, 
The sign of his coming is a visual display, a luminescent visual celestial light. This is what Luke says about his coming in Luke chapter 179, or 76 through 79. He says this, this really is about John the Baptist and John the Baptist preparing the way for Christ. But he says, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high, this being John the Baptist. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of the path. So Christ has come and he has delivered us from darkness. He has set our feet on a path and now we can see, we can know God, we can see God. Christ has illuminated God for us. He has given us visual evidence of who God is. And so it is fitting that when Christ comes, that the sign is in the form of light as he is the light of the world and lights every heart of men and women to know and to understand who God is. This too is a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 60, you guys don't have to turn there. You can stay in Matthew. I'll read it to you. Listen to what Isaiah says here about the future glory of Israel. He says, arise, shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Think of a star rising in the sky as a sign of God coming. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. A nation shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Just a footnote, the Magi were from another nation. They were another people. They were not Jewish. But they're coming to Christ, they're coming to understand and to know this infant child. And they're beckoned to Christ through God's sign of light that arises in the sky. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. I mean, this is just, this just, this is just a, such a great depiction of what we read in Matthew chapter 2. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. That exultation is celebration. It's joyful exuberance. Because the abundance of the she shall be turned to you and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Epheth, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. God is working his unswerving plan through the power and the appearance of Christ for all nations. And he speaks it to Isaiah almost six, seven hundred years earlier. So Christ comes by a sign and he comes with a dazzling display of light. And then what do we see? The Magi. The Magi come and they, they see this, this light in the sky. And for them, it's a sign. Whoa, 
whoa, there's something taking place here of significance, of importance, and, and we need to figure this out. We need to investigate this. And let me just say that we see the first response of the Magi's to the word of the gospel, the word of Christ that has come through this sign. What is their response? Their response is eagerness, a willing to know and to understand, a desire to seek out something that has been revealed to them. Gentiles were not, the, the, the Magi were not Jewish. They were most likely from the area of Babylon, Babylonia, more towards the east. They might have been respected politicians or political dignitaries. They were, they were wise, but wise by the world's standards. They were not wise in God's eyes. They were called wise men because it's a good interpretation. But they are in no way wise in God's eyes. They were wise in the ways of the world. They were wise in the world's standards. They were educated in the sciences. They were astrologers. That's why they, they made such a big deal about this luminescence that appeared to them in the sky. They were astrologers. They were dream interpreters. A lot of them practiced magical arts. I mean, these were not men following the God of Israel. But when they observed this celestial event, they were compelled with eagerness to journey to Jerusalem, to seek out what this could be. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, made the, what made them go to Jerusalem? What made them, well, I mean, they could have gone anywhere, right? I mean, what made them trek to Jerusalem as they see this, this star? Well, we don't necessarily see it in the scriptures, but we do get a clue of maybe why they went to Jerusalem. And that is that in the history in that time, there was a, a Roman historian called, um, his name was Tacitus. I don't know if you're familiar with him. And he writes in this period of time, in one of his historical works, this. He says, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. So there was this sort of, this, this belief in the area or this expectation that there would be these, these, these powerful universal rulers coming out of the land of Judea. And so this was kind of in the consciousness uh, of these sort of uh, intellectual people, uh, sort of these, these priests or these dignitaries. And so as they see this sign in the sky, what they're thinking to themselves possibly could be, this might be a sign of something that was believed to become or to take place in the future, which was that there was going to be these rulers and leaders coming out of this, this area, this region of Judea, that would acquire immense power and prosperity and influence in the region. So they head off to Jerusalem to figure out what's going on. Verse 3 through 8, I want us to see this, Herod's response. We see the Magi's response, but I want us to see Herod's response for a moment. Verse 3 says this, when Herod and the king heard this, did he praise? Did he exult? Did he rejoice? Was his 
attitude filled with joyous celebration? No. What did Herod, or how did Herod respond? He was troubled. It is amazing how the word of God can land in many different ways on the hearts of men, depending on the disposition of their heart. To the Magi, it was, it was an expectation, an eagerness. To Herod, it was a threat. Herod's response was, I'm troubled. And not only was Herod troubled, look at what it says after that. Look at what Matthew says, in all Jerusalem with him. In other words, the whole town was kind of upended by this. The whole, the whole town was kind of uh, was on edge, filled with maybe anxiety, troubled. This word troubled really means to agitate. Herod was agitated. You know, the teachers of, the, of that time were agitated. They were kind of stirred with this agitation. Why? Because Herod really longed to be the accepted king of the Jews, even though he wasn't Jewish. He was protecting his reign, protecting his power. And not only that, the scribes and the chief priests who he called to himself, looked with me in, in verse four, he assembles as a response when he hears this from the Magi, he assembles a group of people, priests and scribes, those who would be knowledgeable about where the Messiah comes from, where he's coming and when. And so he assembles them. And by doing this, this verse uh, that comes up uh, in Matthew's account is from Micah chapter 5, where it says that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. The Messiah will come and he will be a shepherd for his people. But notice Herod's response paranoia, disdain, contempt, deceit. His power and his reign was being challenged. His response, along with the rest of those in Jerusalem who are awaiting a Messiah, should have been joy, should have been celebration, should have been gladness. But there was none to be found in Jerusalem or in the heart of Herod. And we know this because Herod goes on later in the chapter to orchestrate uh, the, the extermination of all of the children in that area, zero to two. So even though Herod puts up a good front and sends the Magi out to find this child because he wants to worship him, really he has sinister plans behind those sentiments. And it's interesting because those who are highly educated, those who were trained to recognize when the Messiah would come, those who were gifted and, and knowledgeable in the word of God, they were completely ignorant of what God was doing just seven miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem, seven miles from Jerusalem. I mean, that's like Scarborough. <laughs> if something big was happening in Scarborough, that was pretty important. We probably know about it. I mean, that's how close we're talking here. Yet, both Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees, and the Jews, they didn't want any part of this. They didn't want any part of this. In fact, they wanted to do the opposite. They, they had no joy in their heart. 
They had no sense of, of exaltation, no sense of celebration that God was providing for them their long-awaited Messiah. No, their hearts clearly rejected Christ. Again, it's quite astonishing how the hearts of men will respond to the gospel. But here we have in verse 9 through 11, back to the, to the Magi's response. We see uh, Herod responding in a certain way. And then we see the Magi uh, now leaving Jerusalem after having this encounter with Herod. This star reappears to them. Let's read it together in verse 9 through 11. It says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So they see this star. Uh, they eagerly trek to Jerusalem, which would have taken months. They meet with Herod. They ascertain where it is uh, by the scribes and the prophets where this child might be born. And as they are leaving Jerusalem, the star rises again and begins to, begins to lead them to Christ. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose, way back in probably Babylon, this star they see and they follow. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want us to take note here for a moment that the reappearance of this star that guides the Magi from Jerusalem is this further confirmation of God's divine work in Christ. He's announcing his son, the true king of Israel, the delivering Messiah, and he does it through a sign a sign that takes the form of light. And he guides these magi, these Gentiles, these workers of magical arts and worshipers of astrology and guides them to his son. And look at what they do. Look at how they respond when they reach their destination. When, when they reach the place and they discover what it is that they were searching for, what is their response? Look at what Matthew says. It is rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. With great joy. This word joy in the and the Greek is a noun, chara. It means happiness and, and gladness. And, and, and joy can be associated with feelings caused by, like we said, circumstances. But biblical joy is continual gladness. Continual gladness that's apprehended through a relationship with Christ by faith. There is a different joy that we as Christians are able to draw from. There's a different joy that God has implanted in your heart and in, in you by your faith in Christ. This is a, a joy that we, we see uh, experienced by the Magi. There is a joy that they have, but not only that, there is a rejoicing. 
Not just joy, but rejoicing. This word in the Greek is the verb form of the same word joy, but it's translated totally different. It's translated rejoicing. Why? Because it's exceeding joy. It's not just joy, but it's overflowing joy. It's overwhelming joy. It's an uncontainable joy. That cannot be stopped. That must be expressed. So joy can be something that you feel in your heart. It is a a feeling, a continual state of mind that you have in Christ. But exceeding joy causes a response. Exceeding joy, rejoicing, is not just an inward state of being, but an outward expression of what you feel inside. And so the magi come, and not only are they filled with joy, but their joy leads to rejoicing, an expression of joy that is uncontrollable, a celebration of gladness that is produced when they have found what they were looking for. This is the joy that we have if we are in Christ. This is the joy that we have been given by grace because Christ has chosen abundantly to give it to us. Take note as well, they worshiped him. Now hold on a minute. It's easy to look at this story and think they realized he was God. But that's not really what Matthew is trying to get at here. This term worship uh, can be used in many different ways. And it doesn't necessarily mean the acknowledgement of deity or divinity. We can't really say that the Magi had this epiphany when they were in the presence of Christ as a child and realized he was God. Because the Magi were not searching for God. Nor did they think that they had discovered a man of divine status or reputation. The Magi were in search of a king. They were looking for a king. Not God, but a king. And and their worship, and their worship was a familiar response of homage a familiar response of homage fitting for one who is in the presence of royalty. So they realized and and understood that they were in the presence of royalty and their gifts reflected the same sentiment. They gave as if they were giving to royalty and they worshiped, they bowed down. This this word in the Greek, proskuneo, really means to kiss or to fawn, or to crouch, or to prostrate oneself in homage. It's sort of the response that you see people give when they're in front of the Pope, right? There's this, there's this response of reverence and lowliness as they're, they're in front of this elevated man uh, that has tremendous influence and prominence. It's the same that that kings may receive and royal dignitaries may receive uh, by commoners when they're in the presence of them. So really the the magi were were worshiping 
the God-man, the Christ child, but they weren't necessarily worshiping him as God. But they did recognize his royalty because of the signs that had pointed them to him. We have to be just really clear about what Matthew's trying to do here. And we can't put anything into the text that's not really there. There's nothing to, to, to there's really nothing there that kind of advances this idea that, that, that the Magi were saved at that point, that they believed in Christ at that point. And Matthew doesn't give us any inclination of that. But what he does do is he shows how Christ is king. And in this instance, he shows us how he is king through the, uh, through the writing of and the demonstration and the expression of the, of the Magi falling and fawning and prostrating themselves before him. But make no mistake, there is a joy that the Magi experienced upon seeing this child, upon seeing Christ. And from the very dawn of humanity, God has been causing his creation to rejoice with great joy. Our rejoicing in God is a suitable response considering who he is and what he's done. Psalm 13 puts it this way. Psalm 13 1 through 6. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O my Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And so God has been causing his people to rejoice in him since the beginning of time. And most certainly our rejoicing rises and culminates in the salvation that he has afforded to us through Christ. Psalm 40, I'll give you one more if you're not convinced this morning. Psalm 40, 16 says this. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. And so what is the point of Matthew's text this morning? It is simply this. Christ is the source of infinite joy for those who seek and find him. Christ is the infinite source of joy for those who seek and find him. Why? Why should Christ be our cause for perpetual joy, gladness, delight? Why should this be? What is it that we can find joy in Christ for? I'll take you here to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Actually, I don't even know. Yeah, I think I can read it. Okay. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne. Let me read that to you again. I'll start from verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, there is no greater delight that Christ could behold, no greater joy he could know than to live in complete obedience and submission to the unswerving plans of the Father in salvation. The joy that is inaugurated at Christmas is the same joy that is set before Christ in his death. Why? Why are you to have great joy? Why does Christ experience great joy in the very thing that brought him shame? The very thing that was despised. Why is it that Christ finds great joy in this event, in this moment? First and foremost, it's because he goes to the cross in willing obedience to God. But secondly, he goes and accomplishes your salvation, which brings him great joy. You as a believer, one who has put their faith in Christ, has believed in the gospel and now is living for Christ and has made him Lord. And now he reigns and rules as your king. Those who, have, who are in that place, those who have made that decision, those who have been gifted faith and have received and have, and have asked God and God has come in and rules and reigns in their lives, all of those Christ has died for. And he dies for them with exceeding joy at your salvation. Wow. That's not a joy determined by circumstances. <laughs> That's not a joy <laughs> that is produced by good feelings. That is a joy that is unswerving. And it's this joy that we see inaugurated at Christmas. So the joy that Christians possess is not one determined by favorable earthly circumstances. Our gladness is not produced by positive feelings or an encouraging report. The joy we have been given is not tethered to a fortunate outcome or an advantageous opportunity. Our joy is endlessly bound to something sturdy, infinitely resilient, able to produce a vigorous rejoicing in the face of every circumstance. That is our joy. 
The source of our joy is found in the salvation of our souls. The source of our joy is found in that salvation and it's secured by a divine king who humbly went to a cross to bleed and die for you and me. That's your joy. That's your joy. That is not a superficial joy. That's not a cheap joy either. It cost God everything for your joy. So the substance of our joy is found in Christ alone. It gladly rejoices in the labor of Christ, securing every spiritual benefit through the cross. Our joy is indelibly bound to the suffering of Christ and to the death and resurrection of Christ who reigns as king over sin and death and who will one day take his rightful place of authority before all men to acknowledge and follow. That is our joy. Let's face it. This Christmas season will once again wane into obscurity just like everyone before it, right? We'll be on to the next thing. On to the next event. On to the next thing to do. On to the next problem to fix. Uh, maybe on to the next, you know, job. On to the next celebration, birthday, anniversary. Take your pick, Right? Life will continue after this Christmas season. And it will wane into obscurity. And for most, life will again adorn the familiar robe of normalcy. Things will get back to normal after the season is over. And with the extinguishing of the season also will come for many the smothering of the joy that was fleeting. Let me just say that again. With the extinguishing of the season will also come for many the smothering of a joy that was temporary. Will that be you? Will that be me? Is that the kind of joy that you have? Or do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe there is a joy inaugurated at his birth, which has come to live abundantly in you? Do you believe that he has graciously afforded to you through the divine work of Christ for you? Do you believe that just as he grants life that is everlasting to whom he wills, and just as his kingdom will be an everlasting reign marked by justice and righteousness, so too has he secured and produced in you an everlasting joy. Do you believe? This is a joy that is only achieved through the power of the gospel. And my question to you this morning is, is do you believe in that joy? Because it is a joy everlasting. It is a joy that is marked by eternal things. Is it, a, is it, a, it is a joy whose qualities are never-ending. It is an ever-present joy. And that source of joy is irrepressible. It is Christ coming as our King. 
And the only suitable response by the people who call him God, King, Messiah, is exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. Do you believe that? Yeah. Let's stand.